It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to wall. Oh, measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Dagger! Here comes Pierce with five seconds left. Pierce with three. Pierce with two. Pierce full away at the horn. It's gone. ball, Deal, and Gortel. Porter can't find anybody. Gives it to Wall. Porter gets Bradley for three. Oh, what a shot! He talked about a Hello, Wizards fans. We are here at Capital One Arena. I am Noah Getzel, and this is the Locked On Wizards podcast. Tonight, we are here with Bryna Kramer. Uh, Bryna. Wizards finally got the victory. It's not going to be a sweep, so that's some good news. Um, tonight, we will be talking about the offensive breakout performances from Bradley Beal after he shot just 3 of 11 in Game 2. Um, Marching Gortat was 0 of 4, 0 points in the first game. Sorry, in Game 2, he had 16 tonight, uh, responding to kind of some murmurs that he might not even be starting tonight. And then, of course, John Wall, another impressive performance. Uh, 28 points, 14 assists four steals as well. So offensively, the Wizards were clicking. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the chippiness of this matchup. It looked like there were a couple of times, there were, what, four or five technical fouls. There was a double tech. Yeah, there was a lot of technical fouls. And Markeith Morris set the tone. He said, nobody's going to fight me. Nobody wants (laughs) to fight me. Um, So we'll talk about that a little bit more. And Kelly Oubre, also the the kind of... um, you know, what what role he plays for the team, how he can be an X-factor, especially defensively, trying to make life difficult for DeMar DeRozan, who had a good game, but, you know, had to work for every every shot attempt. Great. So, starting with the offense, 69 points in the first half. The Wizards were playing, you know, the th- Toronto ball a little bit in terms of <laughs> just 
all of these, the, the offense was flowing oh so well, uh, 39 points in the second quarter. Back-to-back quarters, they shot over 60%. It was 70 in the second quarter, then 61% in the third quarter. Wow. What, what made it so easy on offense this game? I really think, I mean, you know, we've heard it, Brooks say it, you know, over and over and over again all season long. That when you're locked in on defense, your offense is going to flow. Defense and creates offense. Defense creates, exactly. And that's really what it was tonight. I mean, granted, in the first quarter, and, you know, I don't remember exactly when the first quarter it kind of stops, but, you know, the Raptors were hitting all their threes and it didn't look that great. I mean, the Wizards were staying close, but, you know, it still wasn't, you know, they weren't getting stops or whatever. And then they just turned it on and Kelly Rubre came in and it was just. All of a sudden, there was defense, and there were stops, and then the offense started flowing, and it was just working so well. But I really think it was the fact that defense, they locked down on defense, and that created this flowing offense, like mm-hmm. Brooks said, and his, Brooks has said all year long. And 12 points for Bradley Beal in that first quarter. Yeah. How do you feel like he was, I mean, he didn't mention it all in his post-game presser, but did he? Did it seem like he was making a more concerted effort to kind of get his shot flowing and not be silent offensively like it seemed like he was in, in game two in terms of only trying to score off catch-and-shoot opportunities? Right, yeah, did no, I definitely, no, sorry. Yeah, I definitely feel like he was definitely, you know, being more aggressive. I mean, Brooks was saying it a little bit, but, you know, he was really, whether, like you said, he wasn't just going for catch-and-shoot opportunities. He was finding his way to the basket. He was really making... You know, he was really being aggressive and, you know, making the game his. And like you said, he had 12 points in the first quarter, which is more than he had in the game two. Right. Like the whole game. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he was so aggressive. And it was, you know, like they always say, you know, this team goes as Brad and John go. And Brad needed to get off to a early, a hot start early in order for this team to have any chance. So aside from Beal, we also saw another good game from Mike Scott. He scored double figures in each oh. game for the Wizards so far. He's just, you know, got to be fantasizing about how much money he's going to make this offseason. I know. Yeah, no, Mike Scott had a really impressive game. And, I mean, it took him a little bit to get going offensively. It wasn't really until, I think it was like the third and fourth quarter, where he really started getting some shots to go down. He didn't miss a shot, actually. Well, then <laughs> it took him until the third or fourth quarter to start taking yeah. some shots. I think he had like five points in the first half. Right. Like that. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, I mean, I've talked about this for all season long, how not Mike Scott does a little bit of everything that doesn't show up in the box score. And, I mean, he just had an all playoff long, like, he's had just an incredible series. He's done every little thing, you know, from rebounding and boxing out to, you know, diving and seals and this and that. You know, I mean, I could go on and on about how much I love Mike Scott and how much he brings to this team. But, yeah, incredible game for Mike Scott. So there was mention of him possibly being the starter in Game 3. Of yes. course, uh, Scott Brooks stuck with his original lineup saying, oh, you know, like, you know, all these people with microphones are asking me these hard-hitting questions and I've got to say something, essentially. But uh, did you feel like Mike Scott could even play center? Or would it make more sense for Markeith Morris to be a center just because of the height difference? Morris, I believe, is like 6'10", and Mike Scott's maybe 6'7", 6'8". Let's see. Um, Yeah, so Morris is, yeah, Mike, Morris 6'10", Mike Scott is 6'8". So it's only a two-inch difference. Does... In, in the modern NBA, can you be a center at six foot eight? Does he have the qualities to, you know, defend the low post and contest shots in the paint? What do you, I mean, of course, we've seen that he's mobile enough to chase some of the three-point shooters. Serge Ibaka didn't really, you know, 
torch the Wizards from the perimeter, even though the Raptors ended up with 12 three-pointers and still lost by, what, 19 points somehow. Do, do you f feel like he can be a center, or is it more natural just for him to continue playing power forward? Well, depends mean, on the lineup. I mean, yeah, I definitely think it depends on the lineup. And we saw him a couple of times tonight. Like, he was playing center. But whether he should be the starting center, that's a whole different question. Because you know they're not going to go away from Valanchunas. Mm -hmm. So, like, do we? does he match up well against Valanchunas? No. Like, that is, no. That, is, that doesn't work. But like you said, I feel like if they were going to put Scott in the starting lineup, then maybe Keith would slide over to the five and actually be the center. And they were just yep. talking about, rather than Scott being the starting center, just having Scott as a starter. Five, yeah. Right. Oh, I see. Or as okay. a starter. Not like... Because, you know, like, I don't think maybe – I think when Brooks said it, like, I mean, I think he was a little bit of the case of reporters sticking the microphone in his – His team being down 0-2, he's got to say right. something. Right. Well not, well, not even that. Just more, like, in the fact that he called – said Scott would start at center or could start at center. Yeah. Maybe he just meant Scott starting in general. Because I feel like that would maybe change up things. But... I guess five could go both ways because starting five is your five players, but five is also the center. Right, player, so exactly. Who knows in the heat of that moment. Right, but, you know, I think I think Scott can play center, and we saw it tonight, and it does work in if, against when the Raptors really go small. Like, you can't have – well, Keith wasn't out there tonight for other reasons that we're going to get into, but you can't really have Gortet out there. You can't really have Mahimi out there. I mean, I think it was in the fourth quarter – I mean, they, the Raptors went super small, and Mahimi was out there just for like a minute and a half before Scott pulled him and put other people back in there just because they went super small, and they were like, well, we're going to try to match them and not go super big. Mm -hmm. So I think Brooks has done a lot of playing Scott at center, but no, I don't, and like you said, I mean, like you said, pregame, Brooks was saying that it was him saying that Scott could start at center or at the five or whatever um, was a little bit of, the reporters putting things in his face or microphones in his face after five minutes after a loss, but you know. Yeah, uh, in the fourth quarter, we didn't see Mahimni. He played uh, one minute, like two minutes in the third, yeah. and one thirty in the fourth. That's what. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then uh, Gortat had ten minutes in the third quarter. He didn't play at all in the fourth. Uh, the game was pretty much out of hand at that point, right. and I guess his skill set wasn't necessarily when he as proved needed, himself but, tonight. You know, I mean, yeah, he came out there, he did what he had to do, and I don't think. I mean, normally, I feel like fans would be um, okay. I mean, you know, they were okay, I mean, because the Wizards were winning, that he didn't go back in the fourth quarter, but normally fans would be happy that he wasn't going back in the fourth quarter just because he hasn't been as effective. But, I mean, it wouldn't have hurt if he had gone back in to just really seal things up. But, like you said, Brooks didn't need him. It's, it's strange how, like, fandom works because I operate under the same – parameters but you know guys are you know your hero and they're doing everything great and you love them when they have a good game and then the games that you lose and you shoot yeah. 0 for 4 and don't score it's like people overlook everything else you've done in your career and all of your skills that you can bring to the table uh Gortat was 6 and 9 in game 1 12 points I believe uh 0 points in a poor performance where he missed a couple of layups that were I guess you could say spoon fed by John Wall and then here tonight 18 points 8 of 10 um, also five rebounds. What? And John Wall was asked about you know the the big man's um, improvement tonight, and he said it kind of starts with when he is getting the ball and getting more confident, and 
you know, just involved in the offense, he does more in terms of putting in a greater effort to whether it's set screens or box out for rebounds or get guys open. It makes a big difference because, you know, you, you when you see your big man working hard, you want to reward him and get him some touches, get him some easy layups, get him going because that'll only motivate him to, to do even better. And Gortat didn't say, like, it was motivation that there was any talk because him, he and um, Scott Brooks never had the discussion of would you be comfortable with going on the bench. He, he said the perfect answer to reporters, yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm starting or on the bench, I'm still getting to contribute. Like, it doesn't matter to me, but... What kind of difference did you notice in terms of what allowed him to have a, a strong offensive output tonight? Was it just, you know, wall finding him for open shots, open layups? I mean, I definitely think that's a part of it. But I think, I don't know really what it was. And I don't know if it was that John Wall was finding him for open shots and that got him more engaged. Or if it was he looked more engaged and so that got led, right, that got him open. I don't know which way it goes. But he just looked like... He just there was just a difference, like just even watching him when he did have the ball, when he did have the ball, he just looked so much more engaged and just so much more like he was just having fun out there. Yeah, and like the whole team, right? The whole team, and that's you know what Brooks said, what Wall said, what Beal said after the game. I mean, they all said some variation of that they were just having fun out there, and it just I mean it showed, and that's something that we I haven't seen from this team in months. I don't I mean (laughs) months in months, not after every victory. No, okay. not even when they're winning. They yeah. don't look like they haven't looked like they've been enjoying themselves out on the. I don't even know if they've been looked like they've been having all star break. Like I mean, they it it really showed tonight. And yeah. I don't like I said I don't know if it was Gortat being engaged, which led to him John Wall finding him, or vice versa. But it it definitely showed. My, uh, Scott Brooks said that the difference in Gortat's performance, of course this is a joke, but he said he finally has a grown man's haircut, <laughs> got rid of that childish mohawk, and Gortat played along with the joke. He's like, yeah, I could move so much faster without that hair. Everybody was joking <laughs> about that tonight. I mean, Beal and Wall were saying after the game, like, yeah, we were so, I mean, they seemed shocked when he walked in, I guess it was today, um, to shoot around, but yeah, everyone was making a joke about Gortat's haircut. And Markeith said, or Gortat said that after each practice, Markeith was bringing his razors out. He's like, come on, just let me, let me cut it. And Gortat would pull a Houdini act and just disappear after practice. (laughs) So he couldn't chase him down and, and cut that luscious hair. I guess it's like the opposite of the um, Samson effect because Samson had all this power from his hair and then the hair might be a hindrance for Gortat Gortat, perhaps. I don't know. I, (laughs) I think he just, you know, was getting easy. Easy passes, the pick and rolls were working because every pick and roll is guarded slightly different. And, you know, right. there are very, very small windows of a quarter of a second where you're open and things just have to work out perfectly. Um, so obviously it did. Um, we're going to take a quick break now. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the near ejections and the physical playoff style basketball that, you know, kind of is more along the lines of the MMA style type of play that we saw against the Atlanta Hawks uh, in last year's playoffs. So stay tuned. Noah Getzel and Brianna Kramer are coming right back with more of the Locked on Wizards podcast here Friday night. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey everybody, welcome back to Locked On Wizards. I am your host, Noah Getzel, and we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, local experts every day with biggest stories coming at you. Um, so be sure to subscribe to Locked On Wizards on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. You can follow us on Google Play, on Twitter, at Locked On Wizards. You can follow me and Bryna. I am Noah underscore Getzel, and Bryna is B-R-Y-N-A-K-13, at Bryna K-13. Um, we're also part of Wizards Extra. You can tune in on Twitter there to catch a lot of the post-game interview videos inside the locker room um, at the podium. You can catch it all at Wizards Extra, so be sure to follow us there as well. Um, so we just talked about how the offense was clicking for the Wizards here in their Game 3 victory um, at Capital One Arena over the Raptors. But as Bryna astutely pointed out, astutely pointed out, offense stems from good defense. Did it seem, you know, like the Raptors didn't have poor shooting numbers, but like what kind of defensive adjustments did it seem like the Wizards were making that made it more difficult? Um, a lot of it stemmed from physicality and less than three minutes into the game, Markeith uh, Gortat, oh, sorry, <laughs> Markeith Morris nearly got himself ejected because there was, uh, he got fouled by OG Ananumbi and he nearly, you know, he got back up, got right in OG's face uh, and a shoving match ensued. It, it seemed like this was going to be more than just a warning at first. And yeah. It seemed a little bit like a boneheaded play by Markeith, uh, I'm sure. Because we saw the same thing in Orlando, the, the final game of the regular season, where like I think it was the first quarter where he got ejected. Um, yeah, And was. that was a huge game, you know, determining playoff positioning for the Wizards. Uh, and, you know, we, it would have been a very different press conference in terms of what Scott Brooks would have to say if it was an early ejection. Right. Morris ended up only playing 18 minutes. He didn't do very much. He had seven points. Uh, one assist, one rebound. So not a big game, but a lot of guys were saying that the reason that the Wizards were more intense and you know physical defensively was just because of the tone of saying, "Hey, you're not going to punk us. You're not going to. If you push us, we're going to push back. And I don't care if it comes down to, you know, a, nobody's actually going to throw punches or get ejected. But it's the playoffs. But you know, it, it got a little bit more physical. And it seems like every time this happens, just about it's. <laughs> Either Markeith Morris or John Wall, who's, you know, up in the opponent's face. and Or Oubre. Yeah, that's a good point. And there was one fight between Draymond Green and, and Beal. Bradley Beal as well. But usually, <laughs> if there's a common link, it's usually, usually Markeith Morris. Morris. Yes. Do you feel like it needed to have a, a play like that to incite the Wizards to actually play some defense? I mean, I think... There's, I think there's a good side to the physicality and the bad side to the physicality. The good side of the physicality is, you know, like you said, I think it did, it, it did incite them to play defense. And, you know, whatever it did, it sparked them. It, they were like, you know, we're not getting, like you said, we're not here to get punked. You know, we're here to show out and get a game at home because that's what we have to do in order to not get swept, which they were very, you know, very close to having happen. But at the same time, the bad side, especially with the Wizards, is when they do play physical sometimes it happens like this like you said three minutes into the game and granted like you said Morris because of his personal foul trouble not aside from technical fouls mm -hmm. you know he had to sit out a lot of the game so he wasn't yeah. a factor anyway but like if he had gotten ejected 
that we don't know what would have happened in the game, and I think it really could have set might the have tone. Might have seen my uh, what's his name, uh, Jason Smith, come in a little bit more. Who knows? Right. I mean, it just it could have set the tone in a very different way, and I think the Wizards also have the problem of when things like ejections and they're not getting calls and things like that, and they go against them, they let it get in their head and they let it just kind of they focus too much on that and not to what actually is happening on the court. Mm-hmm. And so I think this could have, you know, I think the physicality in this case, it worked really well for them, but they also, they tow a very fine line of yeah. when it works for them, they really, they're like, well, yeah, it worked for us. Of course it worked for us. And then when it doesn't work for them, they're like, Oh, well we were trying, but like we weren't getting calls and you know, so I think they just, they, I like when they're physical and I like when they're aggressive, but they have to be very careful with the line they tow. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly a question that uh, the Washington Post beat reporter, Candace Buckner, asked Markeith after the game. Like, how do you kind of draw the line between being physical and, you know, trying to get in their head, but also not getting yourself thrown out of the game? Right. And he said, basically, like, I know that I can push the envelope a little bit because there's nobody who's going to fight me. <laughs> Which, you know, it is what it is. Like, that works on a pickup court, but not necessarily in a refereed basketball game. Right. The Wizards got lucky, and you mentioned that after the first fight, okay, no biggie, double technicals, whatever. But then there was another play, uh, in, I think it was in the second half, where Jonas Valanciunas... Uh, he, he, yeah, he charged into Bortat, the refs called it a charge, and then he just would not get rid of the ball. He was upset with the call, he all starts tapping and poking at it, he still wouldn't give it up, and then they kind of got tangled up a little bit, and everyone from the benches started coming over once again, uh, then you had some after, aftermath with, between Serge Ibaka and something that John said to him, he said he just said, <laughs> hey, get your hand out of people's faces, I, I think I that might have been was... a little bit more colorful language than that. I agree. Abaka was going at wall. His security guard, Flav, I don't know his actual name, but Flav is what they call him. Uh, he had to hold him back and, and push him away and yeah. kind of wrap up Abaka. So, and then there was another play too where uh, Kyle Lowry, you know, had to foul. Well, he didn't have to foul, but he fouled Beal going full speed, hit him in the head. And so that was another questionable play. Uh, ended up being a flagrant one. Some fans probably would have wanted to see an ejection, but I didn't think it was that harsh of a foul. If anyone were to get ejected throughout the course of the game, was was there any instance where you thought an ejection would be necessary? No, I don't think... I think think they made all the right calls with the technicals and, you know, whatever. I'm just surprised that there was an ejection because, especially through the first one, I was kind of surprised that when, in the third quarter, when... Like what you were just explaining with Beal and Ibaka and Wall and Valanciunas and that whole thing. I'm surprised that someone didn't get ejected just to send a message. Not because what they did was ejection worthy, but just because they had so many physical tussles throughout this game already. That I kind of figured the referees were going to say, hey, that's enough. Somebody's getting ejected. Which, and I feel like that would have been the worst ejection because, again, it involved Beal and Wall and they were, you know, the players who were carrying could have ejected Jonas Valanciunas and it wouldn't be right. too big of a deal. But, but I mean, if, I feel like they would have ejected at least one Raptors player and one Wizards player. And if it was okay. one of Beal and or Wall, that would have been bad for the team. Yeah. Um, no so I just, yeah, I don't think anything that happened on the court was ejection worthy, especially because like they were saying, you know, somebody, I don't remember who was saying it in the first game press conference, but no punches were actually thrown, you know, I think it was Kyle Lowry. You know, no punches were actually thrown. So, like, nothing was ejection worthy, but, like, I'm surprised there was an ejection just to make a point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. 
Uh, one thing defensively that I noticed was the Wizards in the first two games combined, they had three blocks each game, so six total in the first two games. They had eight of them tonight, including three from Jan Mahimni, uh, two from Porter, two from Beal, and one incredible, you know, it's come to be the standard, but chase down block by uh, John Wall. I can't remember who uh, was the victim this time. But eight blocks in a game where a lot of people are saying the Wizards just can't keep pace because they have no rim protector. And when they put in their traditional center, they can't, you know, chase guys off the three-point line. So that that was noteworthy for sure. Um, aside from that, the Wizards forced 19 Raptors turnovers while giving it up just 13 times. Um, and they for, they uh, pressed the, the Raptors into 10 steals as well, including seven of which came from Wall and Beal. Four for Wall, three for Beal. I feel like takeaways are incredibly crucial in football, but in basketball, like we've seen so many times where the Wizards had the game in hand, but they commit 20 turnovers and so it ends up costing them the victory. Here they were the ones starting off those transition plays with, um, you know, whether it was a block, a charge, or a steal. It started with Kelly Oubre. We saw Mahimi get quality minutes when he was in the game. What will it take for this type of defensive intensity to not just be, you know, a flash in a pan? I mean, I think the Wizards really came out tonight knowing that, like, this was the game. Like, you know, if they lost tonight... History is against you. <laughs> right, history is against you. Like 127-0. Right, it's 127-0 in terms of series. Nobody's ever come back when somebody's gone down 0-3. They might have pushed it to seven games, but nobody's ever actually moved on to, a different, to the next round. Um, in the yeah. So I yeah, so I think they knew that tonight, like they had to win tonight or they were, you know, screwed essentially. Yeah. And I think that's the case. I think that's the mindset they need to go into game four, you know. You have to win game four if you wanna push it and come back here. Exactly. And I mean obviously you have to eventually get one in Toronto, like you can't you know if you wanna move on. It's but not a series until someone wins on the opponent's floor. Right, exactly. But at the same time, if you wanna come back here and have a chance, you've gotta push it, you know, you've gotta win on Sunday. So I think it's just more of that it's basically, you know, this is the last game. Like, this is it, even though it's not. They're going back to Toronto for game five. But, like, they have to go in with that mentality. And like Brooks was saying tonight, you know, after the game, like, you just have to take what they did tonight and build off of it. Like, they can't – yeah, they just, you know, they have to take tonight what they did tonight and build off of it. Yeah. Do you think there was any difference from a coaching perspective that, that stood out to you? Because – it seemed like every lineup that the Wizards went with in games one and two, uh, Dwayne Casey was just able to counteract it so well with whoever he brought in off the bench. Uh, do you feel like Scott Brooks stepped up or his players just rose to the occasion? Was there any anything different in the X's and O's that you saw or the rotations or lineups that you know was, was better tonight or at least didn't make you scratch your head? No, the lineup still kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. Like, I still... I mean, granted, it wasn't as much in the second half, but in that second quarter, I was so really surprised we saw an all-bench unit. I mean, granted, both teams were using an all-bench unit, which really shocked me. I was really surprised that we saw that there was literally you know, a good solid four or five minutes in that second quarter where Beal, Wall, Lowry, and DeRozan were not on the floor. Like, that's so... And it's the playoffs. Like, it kind of baffles me, but... Um, no, I think it was definitely just more. I think it was more of a personnel, and you could say the team as a whole rather than the coaching that really was, you know, the difference. I think yeah. it was definitely just more. I mean, shots were falling. They were locked in defense. You know, 
And I feel like you could almost say that when things are going well on the court, you can tell that Brooks makes the right adjustments. I don't know what why that is, but like when I think it just I think it's just a matter of once everything's flowing, it flows into every part of the game. You know, the coaching, the players, the mm-hmm. it just it, everything flows. And a lot of people are, you know, making these ultimatums like when John Wall is off the floor, like Bradley Beal needs to be on for a second. When Gortat is on, the only reason Gortat should be on the floor is if Wall can feed him assists. The only reason Porter should be on the court is if Wall's like feeding him for these, right. you know, corner threes. And I think you really can't push it that far. I kind of understand, you know, in a general term, that it makes sense that you need one of your all stars to be in the game. But you know, when there's just one of them, if it's just John Wall, you know, he won't be able to get as much space because people will be more, you know, teeing up and trying to get at him. He, he'll have to force more shots, most likely. Uh, same case for Beal. He mentioned in the post-game press conference how much easier the game is once he has John Wall feeding him for open threes instead of trying to traverse through these double teams and trying to find his opportunities. So I feel like if you see, if you see a situation where the Raptors take out Lowry and DeRozan, like, that might be your chance for a couple of minutes, not long time, just a couple of minutes right. in the course of a game to say, okay, both these guys need a rest. Right. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, I don't think it has to be a situation where if Wall is not on the court, then Beal has to be on the court. Right. But I do think that, I mean, and we saw it in the, we saw a great example of it in the second half. You know, the lineups did get shortened. And I was just kind of surprised that we were going so far as to play a 10-man roster. I didn't think it, I don't, but you know, that could have been, that could have also meant that, you know, Gortat and Morris were still out there in the second quarter while Beal and Wall did the rest. Like, I don't think it needs to be Beal or, and or Wall, but I think it could, you know, some, one of the starters should be on at all times, at least in the playoffs. All right. Well, that'll do it. Thanks so much, Bryna, for your time uh, in this noisy, boisterous Capital One Arena, even after everyone has left. We are being forced out of our seats. So I guess that's a good time to close down the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much. And make sure to tune in to Locked on Wizards here after Sunday night's Game 4 back here at Capital One Arena. Wizards Raptors Game 4 looking to even the series at 2-2. Thank you, Bryna. Yeah, no problem. All right. Take it easy. Talk to you soon. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.